Welcome to the Confidence Lounge podcast, where we cover all things confidence in life and business. I'm your host, Elise Conroy, and I'm on a passionate mission to help thousands of women across the world feel more confident from the inside out, because not on my watch am I ever going to watch another woman do insecure life and business again. So if you're ready to become your most confident self, mama, or businesswoman, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So grab your favorite beverage, get nice and comfy, and get ready to receive today's confidence injection. All right, friends, welcome back to Coach Week. And today I have a whole, whole thing planned for you all. You all aren't even ready for what Miss Lucia Holly and I are going to talk about in terms of feeling confident when it comes to what you eat and your health and your weights. Because I know so many of you right now are struggling to lose the weight. We're living in diet culture. We're doing all the things that are not actually working. So we're going to break all of that down today. So first and foremost, I want to welcome Miss Lucia to the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Elise. I'm really, really pleased to be here. We're going to have a very fun conversation. I can already feel it. It's good energy. That's what I like to do. I love to have fun. Okay. So Miss Lucia, she is a weight loss expert and I love what you do in terms of helping people stop their relationship with yo-yo dieting and ending the weight loss resistance, because I know we've all felt that. So I would love for you to just kind of kick this off. Tell us a little bit about you, what you got, how you got into this industry and the magic that you do with the people you work with. Yeah, definitely. So I think like a lot of coaches, I had personal experience with really thinking about my body, my body image, weight. So when I was younger, I was about 80 pounds over the current weight that I maintain. And I've had for the most part maintained this weight. Something that I also coach clients on is like, when we say that we lose weight, like we're always talking about like a weight range. There's never one static number. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got into nutrition though, not even because of my weight loss journey. So I had this big weight loss and was like, wow, I feel better. Like I feel more functional in my life. That's amazing. But it was at a pretty young age. And on top of that, what I actually got into nutrition for was really looking at my gut health and how it affected my mental well-being. I really noticed, I was like, well, the foods I eat through this dietary change that, yeah, I lost some weight, I actually feel better mentally and emotionally. So that's where some of the coaching came in where I was like, what, what is up with nutrition? You know, like it's more than just calories and calories out as I'm sure like you and I are going to talk about It's so much more than that. So over the years, even though when I started coaching nutrition, I was really talking about gut health, mental health, mental well-being kind of shifted where I noticed, wait a second, a lot of my clients who are women are coming in and we're working on gut health, but now they're almost apologetic for kind of saying like, well, well, I kind of want to lose some weight, but I know I shouldn't because that's diet culture and that's bad. And I never want my friend to feel like she has to lose weight, but I kind of do. And so really I was like, no, if we want to lose weight, like we have every right to, to do what we want to do. I think that's where the liberation falls. So yes. that's really how I got to what I'm doing now, where I'm like, listen, if you want to lose weight, great. If you don't, great. You want to gain weight? Great. Like you, like whatever it is you want to do, how do we break it down so that you feel really good and confident to get yourself to that goal and then sustain that in a really healthy way? Yes. I think you just said the most important thing, right? Is how you want to do it. And I think for so, I know for my personal experience, I've been on yo-yo diets my whole entire life. Like if there was a new fad diet, I'm like, oh, I'm in. And then I would lose like 30 pounds. And then guess what? I'd stop the diet and I gained back 40. And it was so crazy because this is what was modeled for me growing up via my mom. It was, she was always like, oh, we're going to eat healthy. My dad, even to this day, he's like, you know, in his seventies, they're both fighting cancer and he's still trying to lose weight. And I'm like, dad, just stop. But it's that mindset of I'm going to lose 
lose weight. And I know for me, when I went through my 55 pound weight loss, I knew once I got my head right, that my body would follow. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happened. And it was the first time I actually looked at, okay, I'm doing this from a health perspective versus looking at the number on the scale. And that for me shifted everything. So I would love to kind of just open this conversation up by talking about what is it, or why do you think that we as women struggle so much with our health and losing weight? Uh, pressure. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, very simple. Let me just drive right into this. (laughs) Very simple. Very simple because weight loss, you know, I think a lot of us, especially like, and I feel like you're similar, like a lot of people who are my clients or who are in my audience or listen to my podcast or like, whatever are curious about these subjects, super duper smart, right? There's not like a lack of brain cells. There's not like a lack of like understanding logic of how weight loss works or even how sustainable weight loss for the long-term works, right? Like understanding, okay, crash dieting is only going to get me short-term results, but if I want long-term, then I've got to have a lifestyle change. So like you and I, you know, we could talk about an entire episode about this. It's so much more about the emotions of really saying like, not only am I open to noticing what emotions I'm feeling throughout the day, but I'm I open to not feeling pressure to have to change those because that's really common for smart women is to be like, all right, let me you know ch- like check uh, check it off the box, tick the box, right? Like let me just that emotion, let me take care of it, let me yep. process, let me do the thought download, and then what do we have? Another thing that's actually on our to do list, yep. and we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. So really, very much a lot of this is a mindfulness practice of saying like actually. And it can sound funny at first. It's like, actually, can I come into the present moment? Because then the food stuff does kind of take care of itself because nutrition science isn't really changing all that much. We might learn a few more specifics, right? About like certain vitamins or minerals or how something works, but like the basics we understand from a, a science standpoint. I love that. So tell me your thoughts on emotional eating. Yeah. So emotional eating, I think is a superpower for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So with emotional eating, and I would say I fall into that bracket, especially, you know, like past behaviors again. That's why like I'm in this field. I'm like, yeah, there's no reason to dis on or hate on or feel like we have to get rid of emotional eating behaviors because at one point opting into, and I often think of like most of us are kind of coming to these behaviors when we're pretty young, right? For me, I was like, I would say 10 or so when I was really like starting to do some emotional eating. So for me, if I really sit back and think about what was happening for that 10 year old me, I had certain emotional needs that weren't getting met, which is neutral, right? None of us have a perfect childhood. I had a great childhood, but like we all have some, you know, things going on and what was accessible to me was food in the pantry, right? So when there was some sort of emotional need that I didn't know that either I could meet or I was young enough that I wasn't able to meet it. My environment wasn't meeting it. There was one thing that I could do that I figured out. What a beautiful strength, right? So I always tell my clients too, when we're looking at these emotions is that all really that is happening, if we're feeling like, oh, why do I emotionally eat? Like what's going on? We get really up in our heads about it. We feel like it's a big thing we got to figure out. Probably all that's really going on is that at one point that behavior was actually adaptive. When I was 10 and I went through a bag of potato chips to feel better, well, here I am 33. So it worked, right? Like (laughs) I'm here. It worked. Was it the most efficient way at feeling better? Probably not. But in that one instance, it was adaptive and all that has changed 
is that my brain has caught up logically to understand, oh, emotionally eating those, in this instance, potato chips at this point is more of a maladaptive behavior, even though it was adaptive at one point. So I love to bring that up because all this stuff, like when we're really kind of dispelling diet culture, we're taking out that all or nothing thinking. And often with emotional eating, it's like all or nothing, I'm done with it. I never want to emotionally eat again versus saying, honestly, it served you. And what you're saying now is that you just want to be served by that a little bit less. I love that you're giving a permission slip to people too. And I know it's, I'm a big emotional eater. And it's funny because when I think about where this started, it of course goes back to childhood and it would come in situations to where, let's say I had a bad day. My mom would take me through McDonald's and I would get a happy meal. So automatically it was wired to bad day equals now I eat food and I feel better. Or I would get an award at school and guess what came with it? A gift certificate to McDonald's. So (laughs) you better believe this girl still loves her chicken nuggets. And it's funny because I think about my experience as I've learned how to eat for myself and for my body, because it's all, it's different for all of us. And I give myself an all access pass to emotional eat. And I'll give you an example. I just quit breastfeeding and hormonal changes, like real crazy. Oh, Oh, it's real crazy. And so I knew I was like, I feel terrible. And I really would like to give myself permission to eat my feelings today. And you better believe I ate half of a cheesecake and I had no guilt about it. But do I do that every day now? No. But I think, you know, it's like we (laughs) punish ourselves and we're like, we can never emotionally eat again. And we shame ourselves for it. But now I know when that desire is there and I have control over it versus before where I'm just like the whole week, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm abandoning ship. I've jumped off. I was bad on Monday. So now I'm just going to be bad through Sunday. And guess what? Let's add alcohol on top of that. Now we've now done how many thousands of calories in a day? No wonder why I wasn't losing weight. But now that I've seen it and I know that there's, I call my eat triggers, right? And I'm sure you probably have thoughts about that. It's like things that will happen or thoughts that will take me to the refrigerator. And then I get to decide yes or no. (laughs) Yeah. And really what you're identifying there too, that I think is really potent is you're shifting it from these unintentional behaviors and then having to make amends for them or like make up for it or doubling down on it, which happens a ton, right? Well, if I ate an extra thousand calories, might as well make it 10,000, right? Shifting that to say, no, I'm intentionally going to eat X, Y, or Z or amount type of food, like whatever it is, right? Because like you said, our triggers or our our emotional comforts are very, very different and very individual. So shifting from that unintentional and noticing nothing wrong with it just wasn't quite serving me into, and I am in charge. I often like to tell my clients, like we're, you're in the car. And when it doesn't feel so good, maybe it's because you feel like a backseat driver or something, you're like in the backseat. And so what you're doing is you're saying, okay, not a problem. The car is the car. I got to feed myself, right? Like one thing we're all going to do, we have a habit of eating. Thank goodness. Right. Just shifting and saying, okay, what do I notice as I give myself permission to be in the driver's seat? What do I notice as, as I go along that journey? Right. And what are we plugging into the GPS via our thoughts as we are driving to the destination, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, if we're going to continue, I love like, I don't know anything about cars, but we'll keep up with the car now. Cars run on gas, right? Yep. And there are different types of gas, some that you really shouldn't put into certain cars and others that you can like play around with in terms of quality. So it's also noticing over time, what do I notice for my fuel type? How do foods make me feel? Because also I'll say, you know, I came from kind of a paleo style of eating. I used to have a food blog that was more paleo focused because it just made me feel good, honestly, to be eaten this very kind of unprocessed way. 
So a lot of my audience over the years, really also they were navigating coming from being very restrictive with food intake, having a lot of fear around things like sugar and flowers and like less healthy food. So there's even really understanding like when we're fueling our car, doesn't mean we're trying to always get to always eat unprocessed food forever and ever. I've had plenty of clients that have reincorporated things like gluten into their lives where they felt a lot of fear and restriction and uh, physical issues with gluten that I really think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, were stemming from food anxieties because how we think, right? Those emotions are also, it's like a two-way street. How we feel affects how we think and vice versa. A hundred percent. And so many people in my family suffer from IBS and Mm -hmm. they also have a perfect partner in the form of anxiety and one triggers the other. And it's just this spiral that goes and goes and goes. And it's funny because even with my husband, he's going to kill me for talking about this, but I'll have him study what the thoughts are that are coming in. And then if there's an eat trigger, and then if that spikes the IBS and it's, it's all so interconnected. So I would love to talk a little bit about in terms of the way that you see these health issues, gut issues, like how do you see the minds and the gut issues as related? Mm, no, they are. Yeah. Oh, they totally are. We got the studies. Like also I, you know, I think in Western medicine, which I love, and I'm a big fan of, we also compartmentalize our bodies so frequently. Yeah. Like, and, and when I say bodies, I also include our mind. Like so often I feel like we think psychology is different than biology. Yeah. Well, our brains are in our bodies or an organ. Yep. <laughs> like of course it's, it's going to be connected. So I just like to throw that out there because I do think the way we talk about this stuff can really just segregate when we're yeah. fully integrated. So in terms of mental wellness, something that I think can be very supportive when you're looking at how am I feeling, what's going on, is taking some of the pressure off. And what I mean by that is also, let me add this in. Nutrition gets to be pretty boring in the long run. (laughs) What is actually supportive for most of us, right? And I've been talking about this a lot in social media. Are we getting in enough gentle movement throughout the day, right? Which often we can boil down to, are we walking daily? Are we getting our steps in, right? What is our sleep like? What is our hydration like? So some of those like very basic core activities aren't going to change much person to person. There's some general big rocks of human wellness. And our foods that we eat are one of those big rocks. So before we get into like nitty gritty of supplements or ways that we can support our mental health, I always like to look at the big rock of nutrition of, are you getting in three or more, let's let's start with three, three balanced meals per day. Yeah. And by balanced, I mean, do you have an easily identical source of a protein on your plate? A starchy carbohydrate, whether that's more processed or less processed, could be beans, legumes, right? Could be fruit, could be bread, whatever it is. Is there something on your plate you can identify? Do you have colorful vegetables on that Ooh, plate? I love rainbow vegetables. I don't yeah. know what it is about rainbow vegetables. I'm like, if my food's pretty and it's colorful, I want to eat it. <laughs> that's a huge part of mindful eating is are yeah. we actually eating things that fill us up? And a, right. a lot of us, I say all of us are visual. So yes. I think that I love that you said that. It's very important. And then do we have an easily identifiable source of dietary fat on our plate? Mm. Right. So before we get into, you know, because things like blood sugar fluctuations, if we're skipping meals, if we're trying to, I'm a fan of fasting, but we have to use it thoughtfully, intentionally. So are we unintentionally skipping our meals? 
when we're feeling kind of all out of sorts with how we're feeding ourselves, you bet your butt, like your mental health is going to feel all out of sorts too. So we start kind of with like the bottom up approach of what are my three meals? And if we're not getting three meals, great. That's where we start. Or if dinner feels good, right? But breakfast, we skip it or it's a latte and a scone, no problem. But what do we notice with our mental wellness after we have a week or two weeks of really like under our belt, getting in those solid meal times. Oh, that's so important. And I know for so many of the women that I work with and the women that listen to this podcast, we're busy. So I hear the excuse a lot of, oh, I didn't have time to eat breakfast or, oh, I just had to grab something really quick. And then they tell me all about how they feel terrible throughout the week and that they have no energy and that they're suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's so, you touched on it perfectly. It's the three balanced meals. So for people that are in a place where they think that they don't have time to eat or that that might not be a priority for them, but yet they know they don't feel good. What advice would you offer them? Um, can I also, can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Like, yes. Okay, great. It was like, <laughs> I feel like over the years, I've become a bit more of a hard ass on yeah. this, where it's like, when I'm hearing someone say, I just don't have the time. I used to say, okay, let's kind of process that and understand where that thought came from. But now after working with enough clients over the years, I think if, if you've come to a point where you're working with a coach or you're really thinking and you're trying to like, you're trying to do this stuff and your brain is giving you the thought, I don't have the time. To me at this point, that's just a habitual thought. That's yes. not actually an excuse. It's not actually like, oh my God, what is the word? Like self-sabotage. It's yep. not actually that stuff. Yeah, It's just a habitual thought that we have another thought. This is where it gets meta. It's like thoughts on top of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So it's a habitual thought that we are taking too seriously because yep. we have the thought that we need to take that thought seriously. Now, I know I just said thought a lot, but hopefully okay. that, that makes sense yep. because that's what I see it, it is because you can make a two minute breakfast yep, or you can make a 20 minute breakfast or a two hour breakfast. Yeah. But there's like, there's a plethora of information out there. There's a plethora of recipes. If you search like 30 second breakfast recipe, someone's going to have a blog post all linked to, into SEO about that. Yes. Right? Like that information is there. But when we have that habitual thought, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I don't have enough time. That's truly, that actually, I think is a really great silver lining of the change process because that shows us, oh, my little lizard brain. It's just saying something feels weird and different. Let me tell you why I shouldn't do the weird and different thing. Yes. So when, when my clients have thoughts like that, I say, great, thumbs up. Awesome. Now then, what if you don't take that thought seriously? What that? Because I don't like to tell my clients what to do. That's no fun. Right. Those are my right. thoughts, right? Yeah. I'm trying to plug those thoughts into their brains. That's not, yeah. you're not going to have a great lifestyle if you're just trying to base it off of someone else's thoughts and how they go through, go through their days. So instead I like to say, great, when you don't take that thought so seriously, or when you don't take that thought so seriously, and then you go do something fun or interesting with your life, that's when your brain has an opportunity to come up with a solution because it's mm. not actually a problem. Absolutely. And I love excuse busting in this way. I actually do something in my program where I do a time audit and I'll look at how you spend every single minute of every day. So when they come back with the excuse of, oh, I didn't have time to do this. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting because I noticed there was a block here of maybe three to four minutes and I make a smoothie every morning. It takes me about two and a half minutes. So you can't do that for yourself. And they're like, damn it, you caught me again, Elise. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, because being in a place where we are 
it's just continuing to empower the excuses, continuing to think the habitual thoughts are what keeping us or what are keeping us in a place where we're not happy with our results, right? So mm-hmm. why would I allow that to continue if it's just showing you there's a different way of thinking, right? So yeah. tell me your thoughts or if there's any specific thoughts that you find with the women that you work with that hold them back from stepping out of the excuses that hold them back from actually eating right or taking care of themselves or actually getting moving. It's mm, a great question. I would say it's with, and I think a lot of the women I work with are very visual. I'm very visual too. And I think a lot of us have a, a visualized identity of who we are, what we do and what that looks like. Yeah. And I think whether we know it or not, because the mental images in our heads are thoughts too. Yep. Often like our thoughts, we, we think that thoughts are only like words, but they're images as well. So I think when you're creating these changes, it's also interesting to notice what are the images that I'm feeding my brain or that I'm taking for granted that I think are truth, because how many of us just have a certain image or when we come up against the thing that is going to be the change, like in our example, making a breakfast when you've habitually been a breakfast skipper is really noticing what what does my brain visualize for myself? And I do think, you know, I think in personal development and self-help, there can be kind of that like toxic positivity or like just affirmation yourself into a great life where we know like, oh, okay, was that really real life? So yeah, again, no. I would like to speak into the middle, <laughs> yeah. but it is actually just deciding like when I take a minute to come into the present moment and we can do that through our senses, right? What we're seeing, what we're feeling, what we're smelling, lots of different tricks and strategies to come into the present moment. But when we are, that's when I like to notice what am I thinking in the present and what, what, therefore, what am I visualizing? I love that. And I do, I think visualization is one of the most underutilized tools in the work that we do. So I think I want to roll with this for a second. I want everybody right now who's listening to just close your eyes and picture the healthiest version of you. What does your body look like? How is the energy in your body? What are you wearing? Where are you? What are you doing? And just study, just connect, take one second to just close your eyes and give yourself the gift of seeing what that version of you looks like. Because that version of you is one habit away. She's one decision away. She's one thought away from being here right now. And I know when I was going through my weight loss journey, I had this vision in my head of myself for years and years, probably almost a decade of this me that meditates and she did yoga and she ate really clean foods, but she always felt just ever so slightly out of reach. And I had this moment where I was driving. This was when I was still working at Estee Lauder. I was over 200 pounds. I went over a speed bump and I felt this jiggle and I was like, Oh God. And I was like, all of a sudden I closed my eyes and I pictured this version me and I knew that was so not where I was at. And I'm like, okay, I'm committing in this moment to be this version that I know has always just been ever so slightly out of reach. And the reason I was able to become her is because I visualized her. I fed energy into her. I intentionally designed her and was strategic about what she did every single day versus what she didn't do, which was drinking, you know, eating all my feelings, binge eating. Like I was really good at all those things. So I knew this new version of me that there wasn't going to be any space for that in, in this new version. And that's not what I do now, which is wonderful, which is why I don't look and feel like that anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So t- talk to me about your thoughts on visualizations. Yeah. Well, I also think visualizations are, uh, I, I think a lot of women don't even want to give a guess because that feels scary to say Ooh. like, well, what if I visualize myself the wrong way? Or what yeah. if I visualize meditating every day and I can't actually do that? You know, like yeah. the what ifs 
are an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So everyone needs to hear that. What if is creating a story that isn't reality? Yeah. So understanding that first and foremost, because the beauty is when you start to move towards your best guess and coming to it from a place of curiosity. Don't try to visualize yourself when you're feeling like shit about yourself, Yeah. right? Like that's a lot of pressure in the moment. I have my clients too, like if they're feeling really emotionally charged around their food choices, make your food choices ahead of time when you can access your prefrontal cortex. Yes. If you feel like you emotionally eat around lunchtime or, you know, whatever it is, then in lunchtime, it's not the time to try to make a really thoughtful choice. Mm. Make your lunchtime choice the morning of or the night before so that you can really identify what what would my best version of myself eat? And not the perfect version, but the version that I would want my friend to eat, right? It's like that loving version. So when we're looking at visualization, I always think it's like, don't try to fix a problem. Yeah. And most of us are in a problem fixing mode when we think about ourselves, with our body image, with our eating habits. It's like, this is a problem because it doesn't feel great. We no. got to honor that. Yeah. But just because something doesn't feel great doesn't actually mean it's a problem. Right. So right. really looking at, you know, if I have a hobby or if I enjoy going out for walks or if I like playing with my dog or watching silly YouTube videos, whatever is accessible, get into the good mood from like those activities first before trying to think your way into a solution or a visualization. I think that can be really powerful. Absolutely. And I think it's so important what you said, because that's what sets us up for success. And I know when I was working for Smashbox, there were so many meetings every single week. And I knew it's probably around three or four every single day I was going to hit my done point. Mm -hmm. And there was always cake there. I don't know why everybody <laughs> had a birthday every day at this company, but I swear there was always, I, for anybody who lives in LA, it was Susie Cakes, which is like the best cakes ever. And so I could not for the longest time resist these damn Susie cakes. And I'm, I would feel terrible about myself because I would go for one. Then all of a sudden I get the dopamine hit and I'm like, oh, I got to have another slice. And then I felt terrible about myself. So I actually started planning for that dip and I would bring a healthy snack because I knew it's that that was going to come. I knew it. So I planned for it. And I think for so many of us, we don't realize that we have the power to do that for ourselves. And we don't have the ability to say no to the thing that we don't want to do and say yes to becoming that new version of ourselves in the moment. That is so I'm so glad you touched on that because I think for for a lot of women we're really good at talking ourselves out of helping ourselves <laughs> oh my god totally and we're so good at helping everyone else and yeah. we're like the best friend right like so many of us are the rock the person yep. that people come to when they're having problems or like need a shoulder to cry on so that's also I think also another I mentioned silver linings a couple of minutes ago I think that's another silver lining is a lot of women think well I'm really out of practice like I don't even know how to be nice to myself right yeah. But I always think, well, you just don't know how to be nice to yourself. Well, you don't know how to be nice in the context of being nice to yourself. Yeah. But you're awfully nice to all these people around you. So you actually have the habit of being nice to people. Now you're just going to like shine that light on yourself. So your brain, again, the lizard brain is like, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. That's weird. What if I feel good? What if I feel bad? What if I don't feel anything? And instead it's like, who cares what the lizard brain is just like yapping. It's just howling at you. Great. Yes. You, still, you already know how to do this. It's just going to be new for again, like what a minute, two yeah. minutes when you're doing this the first few times, that's also such like a beautiful thing. And I'd be curious to hear because you've had your own experiences with weight loss and kind of shifting towards eating for energy and feeling yeah. healthful. What was it like when you started to make those decisions? Were you able to implement those changes? Like, what did it feel like at first? 
Oh, it was terrible because I was so resistant to change. I did not want to change. Change was hard. And I did not before I did not want to do hard things. And so when I would come up against that mental resistance, like for example, when I was trying to commit to working out every single day, what I, there was this version of me that thought I needed a certain thing. And then there was what I really wanted. So I almost had to reconcile between the two because the version of me that thought it was still living up to society standards. It was, I've got to do the hard hour long boot camp and get screamed at. And I've got to run a mile and in less than like all or seven nothing. minutes, a hundred percent all or nothing. And for those of you who are new to all or nothing thinking, it's where we go all the way in. And that's the only way it can be right. It's like, I've got to do this at a hundred percent or else I'm not doing it at all. And I realized that that was my biggest sabotager. And I actually did something. And this is so interesting is I would always end up getting hurt. So that would be my excuse to quit. And then I would go all back into binge eating and then I would drink my feelings away. And next thing you know, I'm on, you know, the self-sabotage train, just driving away. So when I actually made the full shift, it went to this place of empowerment of, okay, if I was going to do it my way, what would that actually look like? And if I was going to throw away all of what the shoulds, I should be doing this. This is what society's told me. This is what this nutritionist said. If I was going to do it my way, what would that look like? And I landed on two things. One. I would work out in whatever form felt good for 10 minutes a day. I don't want to do an hour. And for now six years, I have stayed true to that. And it is so wild because maybe one day I'll dance. That seems fun. And I literally just lean into what feels fun. So I'll have a dance, work it and twerk it party. I'll take a hike. You know, I like being outside. So I loved that. And so I stuck with it. And I originally had started off at one minute. I was like, okay, I just want to do one minute. You know, if I can do one minute, like get up at a commercial break when I'm watching TV and just like, you know, lift some weights or whatever. And so then I built it up to 10 and I've stayed consistent with that. Some days I do more but my baseline is 10. The second thing that I really had to work through was the desire to quit because anytime I'd get out of breath or if I was eating something that I was like, Oh, this doesn't taste good. I want, you know, French fries. I had to push through my quit triggers and learn what the things were, the thoughts that were leading me to the desire to quit. And that was, that was gold for me because once I could do those two things, then it was like, okay, I can do hard things. And I stayed consistent with it. That's incredible. I think I just hope everyone like rewinds and listens to that again, because it's really powerful. You just get to expect. It's like when we think about when we get mad, like we were just talking before we started to record. It's like, I feel like I'm getting sick. You know, it's like the highs and lows of life, having a little kiddo who's colicky, like all the things I think we assume in our lives that things are supposed to go one way. And then when a life inevitably is lifey, I say that all the time to my clients, life is lifey. If you want to lose weight, do it when life is really busy, because that's going to teach you so much more than that time that actually never really comes when life is more even keel or things aren't happening. We have to, like, we want to be social. We want to go to friends' birthday parties. We want to eat out at restaurants where we don't want to just be eating sad, tiny little portions of chicken, rice, and broccoli at home, which is what we do when we diet. And of course, that's why the diets fail. Yes. They're not teaching us lifestyle skills. They're teaching us diet skills. So they work when they, we do them. Sometimes I feel like especially on social media, my gosh, there's so much misinformation. And I feel like there's been kind of a tail spun about why diets don't work, where they ruin your pet metabolism and they do all these like things scientifically, biologically. No, diets don't work because behaviorally, they're not teaching us what we actually need to learn, which are lifestyle skills. A hundred percent. And I think I was listening to a podcast the other day where there was an expert on about weight loss. And he was talking about when we go into the mindset of weight loss, what it's going to do is we're going to end up gaining more weight because it's our primitive instinct. Our brain is always looking for survival, right? So our brain, when it's like, oh, you're restricting me, hold on. I've got to get more calories in because now we're going to die if I don't have this. So it's like, we don't even realize what's going on in our own minds. And I know I used to restrict 
all the time. I was like, oh, I can't have that. And then I would get mad and I would rebel. And once again, I would eat more. Yeah. So I, I have this mentality and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You're probably gonna be like, oh God, Elise, what are you doing? But I love to look at eating for me as you know what, 75% of the time I'm going to be good, but there's another 25% of the time, whatever, I want, whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And when I think of it like that, I'm like, oh, I'm not being punished because before every part of health felt like a punishment because of the way yeah. I was approaching it. Right. Yeah. Cause it was coming from this perfection of do yes. it perfectly. And if you don't, we also personalize perfection. If I'm not doing something perfectly, then I am imperfect. And then our brains go and prove ourselves, look, you're imperfect. And now you're binging. And now you haven't done the workouts. And you said you would, they double down on that stuff. Our brains are so, I often like to think of our brains as like little toddlers or like puppies or dogs, like something that we love so much. But we also understand like, they only understand things to a certain point. Yeah. There's no use trying to logic with a toddler, right? Yep. Yep. So we actually have to join with how the toddler thinks, get down on their level, kind of speak in more fragmented sentences that make more sense. Yeah. Same with dogs. Are we talking to dogs in full sentences? Maybe we are, but are we expecting <laughs> them to understand that? No. Do they understand basic commands that we've taught them? Yes. Right? Can we really hate a dog that's barking at the door because it doesn't know if it's a mailman or an intruder? No, let's stop, like get the pressure off of this perfectionism around how our brains work. Cause it's so much more, like you've been saying, you do stuff now because it feels fun. Yes. It feels fun to do the dance or to go on the hike. Yep. That's what we want because will you stick to something that's fun? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the way I'm about life, but let's, okay, let's, let's rewind this for a second. Let's talk about how we got to this point as women. Yeah. Let's talk about the evil diet culture, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. I got into this work doing this work because I got so sick and tired of trying to fix myself from the outside in. And I just want everybody listening right now to just take a minute and sit with this thought of how many companies would go out of business today. If you loved yourself, if you mm -hmm. loved the woman that you saw in the mirror, Think of here goes diet culture, right? Right away. Bye. See, the, see you later, beauty industry. Like yeah. it's, there's so many companies right now. If you loved how you looked and you stood in front of the mirror and you said nice things to yourself that you would never need that product again. So I want to talk a little bit about why we as women feel the way that we do, why this perfectionism comes in, because a lot of it is rooted in diet culture. So take that away. I know you got a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And my thoughts might, you know, I also kind of feel like I'm not on like a lonely island or anything, but I think right now on social media, there's a lot of talk about anti-diet culture and intuitive eating, which I think is a beautiful paradigm. So don't get me wrong, but I also think they, we, there's like this dialogue around blaming everything on diet culture. And I actually don't think the energy of blaming like, let's vent, let's process, right? I'm not saying yeah. women shouldn't be angry. We should be fucking pissed off. But <laughs> I am saying that if we're always in the practice, right? A lot of the stuff is going to come back to habits. Yep. We're in the practice of blaming and prescribing blame onto diet culture for these things that are personal to us. It's not really going to get us very far. So to me, diet culture is an extension of power and control culture. And power and control culture is basically the patriarchy. Yes. So to me, when I think about it that way, I'm like, oh yeah, like that <laughs> simplifies stuff, right? <laughs> Truly, because I'm just like, I can kind of, this is, I think, healthy compartmentalization. I can compartmentalize when I really notice like, okay, there's a thought that I'm thinking right now. Can I put it into the bucket of, is that a diet culture thought? Or is that a Lucia thought that I want to keep continuing? That's really helpful for me. And the same for my clients, if they can start to notice, wow, I was putting pressure on myself 
because of these, um, yeah, I guess like external pressures that I've now internalized. Yeah, I think that takes some fine tuning. And the reason I mentioned intuitive eating too is that I think intuitive eating can be a great framework for those of us who have interoceptive awareness, meaning we can understand what how what is my heartbeat doing? Can I feel my hunger and fullness cues? And I think for a lot of us, because of diet culture, we're very out of tune with how mm. our bodies are physiologically feeling. And I've have had plenty of clients who have come to me being like, I tried intuitive eating in the past. It didn't work. I must be that much more broken instead of, nope, this is just another extension of diet culture where you're not in touch as much as you could be, or it doesn't feel as safe to be as in touch with your physiological cues. And the same things get to support us if we're feeling that way, versus if we're feeling like we just have a couple of tweaks to our food and nutrition plan or movement plan, that's really going to move us towards our goals. And that's mindfulness and compassion. Yes. I'm literally typing notes as you're talking because you just said so many amazing things, but I want to touch on two things. I tried this and it didn't work. Okay. This, that mindset right there is what keeps us living in that space of of feeling unhealthy and not getting the results that you want, because maybe you didn't have the right support. Maybe your mindset wasn't in the right place. Maybe you needed additional tools that weren't available to you. So I want to encourage anybody who has that thought, try again, because there's so many times that I know for the women I've worked with for myself or my friends, we've all had that thought of something didn't work, but then we tried it again at a different point in our life. And it was like, oh my God, how did I not get this result the first time? but those circumstances were different. And the second thing that I think is so critical to talk about in in terms, in conjunction with diet culture is how we are served up every single day as women, the belief that there's a quick fix, that Mm -hmm. there's an easy solution. And I know, like I said, I had to work through getting, just getting on board with the idea that there is no magic pill that is going to take the weight off. There is no one thing that I can do for a week. And now all of a sudden I'm going to look how I want to look. So Talk to me about if people are living in the mindset of, I tried this, it didn't work, or I just want a quick fix. What would you say to them? Oh my gosh. Well, I think they should take a cue from you because I think you gave a great example a couple of minutes ago of the exercise where you're like, you know, 10 minutes a day minimum. But what you started with, what, six years ago was one minute. Yep. And so all too often, if even though logically it's like, well, 10 minutes feels approachable, right? Yeah that's okay if in this current circumstance and situation, if you need to break things down even further, seeing that not as weakness or brokenness, seeing that as a strength. Yes. Oh my gosh, right? It's like, there's like those visuals of like someone climbing up a ladder and one ladder has like rungs that are really far apart and the other ladder has rungs that are super close together. Great. Don't get down on yourself if you just need a different ladder because it's still going to take you to where you want to go. And as your example beautifully illustrated, it's going to change over time. So that one minute turns into two, turns into five, turns into whatever it is that you desire to be doing habitually. Yeah. So it's so much more about finding what works for you and giving yourself the permission slip to do what works for you versus feeling the need to live up to what society's telling you, your family's telling you, your friends are telling you, right? I think that giving yourself that permission slip is the ultimate freedom to just let go of everything else. And that feels so heavy when we're holding on to it of having to do it. And notice if your brain says you have to do it, most likely you're going to resist. If you're anything like me, I'm a little bit rebellious. Yep. So anytime my brain's like, you have to do this, I'm like, ha, ha, watch me. I'm not right? going to do that. Or I'm totally. going to do this. Yeah. 
yeah, exact opposite of that. And so I think if your brain says you should, you have to, you need to, now we're going back to what Lucia said in the beginning of your creating from pressure. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to create when you start creating from pressure is more pressure. So we don't ever want to take action from a place of pressure. Agree? Agree a hundred percent. And remember too, you know, I I've been kind of talking in this visual as well for people. So maybe this would be helpful to hear, but our feelings of peace and contentedness are intrinsic to us. Mm. And I think a lot of the times, especially in self-development or whatever, we think it's something to be attained. Most of the time we're actually just kind of like, ideally we're just taking stuff and pressure and stress away in order to like reveal. Yeah that inner wellness, the inner peace, our inner wisdom. So I like to think about it like our inner wisdom, which can be that place where we're feeling content, right? So inner wisdom, can you can kind of add in more adjectives if they make sense for you individually. But that inner contentedness, inner wisdom is like the sun in the sky. So on some days, it might be a super clear, sunny day, and it feels really accessible. I see the sun right there. Other days, and even on that same day, right? But like at other times, there are probably going to be, we can expect for there to be clouds in the sky and the clouds might be blocking the sun. Now that doesn't mean the sun isn't there. And a lot of us, I think, assume diet culture tells us the sun isn't there. If you, what you see the cloud, go find the sun, go get a new sun, right? So a lot of us, I think we can take the pressure off of self-development as well, or creating habits and changes where we can really say, am I just taking these clouds thoughts, these clouds too seriously? Am I assuming that the sun isn't behind them? And what if I just take the pressure off of thinking about the cloud too seriously? And usually what I find is that we get ourselves naturally out of that stress response state into a place of well-being. And then the clouds actually go and they actually flow instead of us checking them off of the to-do list and working really, really hard to get rid of the clouds. Clouds just come and go. Thoughts just come and go. We have what, like 60,000 thoughts a day and maybe more if we're like super in our brains all the time. Yeah. I don't even know how many thoughts that that would be. So what if we just like take the pressure off of taking all those thoughts so seriously? Because a bunch of them have just been habituated. Yes. I love that. And I think that truly is where freedom comes from is when you start to see a thought and it's not your truth. It's just like, oh, that's just a sentence in my mind. Like you said, a cloud floating through. That's actually the metaphor that my best friend uses for her thoughts, right? She's like, oh, I just see it as like a little cloud floating through my mind and then it passes and it goes away. But for so many of us, it's like if we're standing in front of the mirror and all of a sudden you've been told you're fat your whole life, I know that was the narrative that played in my mind. That thought just seemed true until all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I don't want to believe this anymore. Anymore. And I don't have to, because I think I'm beautiful. So I'm just, instead of saying I'm fat, when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm going to say I'm beautiful. And I'm going to learn how to love the things that I perceived as flaws, like my cellulite or a stretch mark or whatever it might be. And that's going to be love that I'm directing to it versus negative thoughts to substantiate that this is something wrong with me, but yeah. no more. No okay. more. And that's really how diet culture ends because yep. the only reason diet culture is perpetuated is because us in different facets of our lives, we're holding on to it internally. It's not yes. some big bad thing. It's not a big cardboard box that we got to break down. Like yeah. it's just these little thoughts that lead to feelings that then rehabituate the thoughts again, as you yes. know, that are all within us. So I think that's also helpful when we're thinking about, you know, other people who like do think cellulite is ugly or have, I have so many stretch marks and like, God, I love them. And I had to go through a whole journey with the stretch marks, right? Why is my skin looser than other people's? How come other people can bounce back from weight loss and my skin looks this way? It doesn't like the thoughts only matter 
for how they make us feel. And so if we can just stop perpetuating those thoughts onto others, that's hundred percent how diet culture just dissolves away. And we don't have to fight it. Yes. It's just that awareness practice. And you all have to remember it's with diet culture, with any product that you're consuming, there is a marketer. <clears throat> I used to be that person. So I'm going to give you some secret tips here who is sitting around a boardroom table, learning how to tap into your insecurities to sell you something. So they know the thoughts that you're thinking about yourself. They understand the internal dialogue that you were having with yourself in the mirror. And I think you just touched on something so important that I want to expand upon, which is comparison. Why does she look like this? And I don't, why does my skin look like this? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So I think comparison is one of the easiest ways for us to continue to maintain the same exact results that we don't want in our lives, right? Yeah. It's like, why don't I have this? And we feel less than, and now we're shaming ourselves and we're judging ourselves. So talk to me, if you're working with a woman who is comparing herself or feeling less than because she doesn't have this result, what what are the things that you coach her through? Or what do you say to her? Draw a line in the sand. Ooh. Just stop the thought. Yeah. You know, again, sometimes it's really easy to be like, let me follow the, like the, let me f- try to find the logic in the thought or like get to the root of the thought. Honestly, draw a line in the sand. Oh, I love just put just a nip it in yourself, the bud. No, nip yep. it in the bud yep. because we can do that. And again, as people, you know, as women or people who have been brought up as women, like whatever socialized as women, it's really easy for us to want to just like take our time and bop, bop, bop and do this really slowly and methodically draw a line in the fucking sand and just yes. be done with the thought. I love that. Nothing bad is going to happen. Only good is going to happen from that. And I promise you, you will feel so much better when you draw that line and you're standing in front of the mirror. And instead of giving yourself hate, you're giving yourself love. That feels so much better. I love that so much. Okay. Talk to me more about this because I want to actually tap into something that you had brought up when you were leading the retreat that I had hosted. So Lucia did an amazing job at bringing her genius to an event that I had hosted. And you talked about something that I thought was so powerful, which was the three universal fears that we all have as women. Mm. So tell, tell them about this. Cause I think this is so genius. Oh my gosh, totally. Well, as women and also just as humans, just as humans, right? So we're all scared of being alone. Like the tribe doesn't take care of us anymore, which I think is a really big one that we don't touch on uh, you know, enough. And actually, I think I just want to center on that one because when we're in comparison, that's what we're doing. Just like I use the example of eating the whole bag of potato chips. And I use that because like, that was me. It was like, oh, the potato chips, I feel bad. Same. (laughs) Yeah. And, and potato chips are crunchy. Like there's actually physiological reasons why like that stimulation is actually supportive and you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's a subject for a different, yeah, I'm salty, Um, different, mm. different podcast episode, (laughs) but when we are looking to other people, when we're looking at our, you know, that's coming from a point of stress. Okay. Yeah. We're looking out, looking out, looking out because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be isolated because from an evolutionary standpoint, that was really bad, right? If you were like ostracized and you didn't have the support of your community, it meant something different way, way, like way, 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 way back when versus now where we have all these different types of community. So really looking at, am I trying to keep tabs on other people and understand that was, it's adaptive when we're stressed out, because again, it's just a way that our brains, the lizard brain is trying to take care of us. So instead of saying, okay, I can never notice what other people are doing or like eyes on my own plate. Like you hear that a lot in food and nutrition. Yep. Yes. Eyes on your own plate, draw a line in the sand, but just notice that when you're dipping into that habit, that's your cue. It's actually a loving cue from your brain of saying, oh, you're a little bit stressed out. So you're looking at what other people are doing. 
instead of trying to problem solve for it. Because if we, if we think everything our brains think and do are problems, guess what? That's a thought habit versus, oh, I love noticing that I'm starting to look at what that influencer is eating, or I'm starting to think, well, maybe I should buy those like, oh my God, what, like those little slippers with the smiley faces that everyone yeah. has that I see all the time, right? Like maybe those would make me happy at the end of the day. And maybe that would be comforting. Have the thoughts, yeah. right? That universal fear, we all have it. And let's just love it instead of trying to problem solve for it. This is so genius because I think that when people think of weight loss and nutrition, the last thing they're thinking about is the thoughts that are running through their minds. And that's what it all comes down to. It's your thoughts and your habits that are creating the thing that you do or don't want, right? So tell me in your opinion, if you are educating somebody to feel more body confident, because I think that this is an area where so many of us struggle, what advice would you give to them to learn how to feel secure in their own skin, to learn how to love the person they see in the mirror? What would you tell them? Mm, that's a really, really good question. And there's a lot of different entry points to that. I think number one would be stop. Again, I feel like such a hard ass these days. <laughs> stop taking yourself so seriously. Yeah. When we're thinking about ourselves a lot, that also is a stress response. We do that when we're stressed out. Like think about it. When you're in flow, when you're feeling good and groovy, when we're, you're with people that you love, that you feel comfortable around, the last thing you're doing is thinking about yourself. But when you're stressed out, what are you doing? How do I look? How do I feel? What am I thinking? You know, so being able to, it's almost like putting the batteries in the other way for lifelong weight loss or the attainment of any goal, whatever it is, practicing, noticing where the goodness is, and then inviting more of that in, I think. And I know that sounds kind of roundabout when it comes to body image, but isn't that the whole point of losing weight or of, again, like any goal that we want, career fulfillment, having loving relationships, we're looking to come into a good feeling. When we don't want to be emotionally eating, it's because we're looking to eat intentionally or feel good in our relationship to food. Yeah, We don't do that by focusing on problem, problem, problem. We notice where is the goodness and now how do I turn the volume up on that? I love that. And I think that that just for us as women is such a beautiful skill to cultivate, to be able to say, okay, here's who I am. And this is who I'm not. And that's okay. And I know from body image for me growing up, I grew up, you know, a child of the nineties and early two thousands. So what I saw as the beautiful body type was either a heroin chic blonde girl who was starving herself to death and doing mass amounts of cocaine or <laughs> somebody who was like a Pamela Anderson with the big old boobies, you know, that are, you know, not natural. So for me being a brunette who was curvy and big old Kim K booty before Kim K was a thing, yeah. I always felt like I was inferior. I always felt like I was the fat girl or not beautiful. And I had killed myself for so many years trying to fit to this avatar that society had told me I needed to look like in order to be accepted or to be beautiful. And there became a point where I was like, I'm never going to be that. Like I've tried to, you know, calorie count my way out of this. I tried to starve myself. I've tried to go on whatever I could possibly do to obtain this body, but just biologically, my physique is never going to be that. So there's so much power that comes along with loving who you are exactly as you are versus worrying against against and thinking that you need to be this person that society wants you to be. Your parents have told you that you need to be. And I'm so glad you said that because I think that right there is what makes us love ourselves, right? When you can accept wholeheartedly who you are, cellulite, stretch marks, wrinkles, all the things that we're not supposed to have yeah. and all, right? Yeah. 
A hundred percent. And the more we're loving towards ourselves, which can mean being disciplined in our habits. Like, again, sometimes I think with how we talk about this stuff, kind of in the greater community of online or just with clients and stuff, sometimes I think people can get confused. Like, oh, if I just love myself, actually, I hear that a lot. If I just love myself, I'll eat the cake all the time or I'll like <laughs> eat the chips and the cake and I'll never want to eat chicken. Where it's like, honestly, you're not giving yourself, like, you're not, you're not doing yourself justice. That's not real love. Yeah. It's not real love. No, real love is going to come from, it's like, I also like to use the example of brushing our teeth. Yeah. Okay. When we were little, someone did probably ideally, I think maybe for most of us teach us how to brush our teeth. We didn't grow up or like, we didn't, we weren't born knowing how to brush our teeth, right? Yeah. Like it, it is a behavior, but how many of us for the most part is pretty neutral as a behavior, we brush our teeth. Maybe we'd rather plop into bed. Maybe we, you know, we're running out the door and we forget to one morning. Do we spend eons in our weekends beating ourselves up from when we're imperfect with that be- habit and behavior? I don't see people really doing that. Yeah. For the most part, we brush our teeth because we were taught how to brush our teeth. And it's a habit that has the value of oral hygiene, hopefully not having to have a lot of dental work, like a lot of reasons why we have good oral hygiene habits. So I think the same applies for food and nutrition. There's the pragmatic side and there's also the emotional side and they get to support each other. Yes. And I want to add on to that with a question that somebody asked me once at a retreat when I was really working on body image. And I was still at war against myself, you know, and this was, I think, in 2018 that this question was asked to me and it shattered my reality. I was like, oh, like I couldn't unsee this question after it was asked to me. And when it comes to true love, she'd asked me, how can you war against something that's working so hard to keep you alive? And I was like, uh, mic drop. I was like, I'm just going to leave now. Like, okay, I'll never be mean to my body. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't ever like say nasties to myself again. Cause that it's the truth. Right. And I think when we see our body through that compassionate lens, as it is every single day, giving us the strength, the breath, the thoughts, the everything that we need to do to navigate this earth. Like that's such a beautiful thing. Oh, so good. Okay. I have one final question for you that I feel like is a question I, I surveyed people and this is the, I, I think this came up like six or seven times. So this is the one that everybody wants to know. So I saved it for last. Why is it so hard to get the last five to 10 pounds off? <laughs> oh, that is a really good question. Okay. Here's my rebuttal. Why do the last five to 10 pounds matter? Ooh, <laughs> I feel like I need like a mic drop. Yes. <laughs> That's so true. I love the way that you just shifted that right back. Okay. Well, why do they matter? I'm like asking myself this and now post baby body. I'm like, because I want to feel strong again. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, here's the thing. And I, you know, as I was telling you before, like I'm not currently working with clients on their strength because I'm still getting certified, but that's been a big part of my own journey is strength training. So I have a love for lifting iron and, you know, gaining strength. If you are working on actively keeping, maintaining and or growing your muscle mass, which is primarily how people get the body composition that they say they want, your body weight from a scale perspective is going to be higher than what the one is in your head. So for the most part, I'm like, when someone is like, ah, the last five to 10 pounds, yeah, you can like, you can restrict and eat the small amount of calories that's going to get you to that standpoint, or you could do the more life affirming option, which 
again, true liberation, literally, if people want to choose that, I say, go for it. Honestly, if you want to restrict yourself, go for it. Right. But to me, the true liberation is why not work at eating enough food to build enough muscle mass so that your body is actually burning enough calories over time that you get the body composition that you want. That BT dubs is probably going to be five to 10, even 15 pounds over that scale number that everyone always seems to want to be going for. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And it's so funny that you say that because when I was at my most fit right before I had my son and before I got pregnant, I wasn't at the number. I was trying to get to like 145 or something, which I I was like Skeletor when I was at that weight. And that was when I was in college. Like I'll never weigh that much again. But I think I was at 165 and I was lean and I had muscle definition and I looked so good. So it's so ironic that you end with that because I'm like, of course, of course. Right. And if I take it one step further, again, were the habits that you had in college, and this is for anyone, right? For that number, that magical number that so many of us have in our head, which often we like had that number at one point, right? We're like trying to go back to college or high school or whatever. Did you actually have the very healthful habits that are lifestyle habits? Or was it from dieting, eating low carb, eating very low calorie, a lot of like over, like too much cardio? Was it a combination of that? Because- that number isn't indicating what you uh-huh. think it's indicating. Yeah, no, I would literally eat whatever nonsense I had in my cupboard. I would like live off of Red Bull and I was also a <laughs> server and I was go-go dancing. So there you go. That's what your it little, was. Like, your adrenal system was just like, help. <laughs> Oh my God. I feel like I could talk to you for all day, every day. Like I need you all to go pull out your phone right now. You need to follow Lucia. She has an amazing following on TikTok. What are your like over 25,000 followers at this point? Like yeah, no right surprise. Yeah. You, you are it's so genius with all of the work that you do. I'm so excited that you are on. So how can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Elise, for having me. It's yeah. like the hour has flown by. I, I can't believe it's already been an hour. I so. know. Totally. I love how the conversation has gone. Um, I'm definitely on lots of social media. So I'm on TikTok, um, on Instagram, both just type in my name, Lucia Holly, and the spelling will be on the episode. I don't need to spell it here. Also my website, luciaholly.com. And then I have my own podcast, the Mindfulness-Based Weight Loss Podcast. So always lots of really good conversations over there too. I love it. And I highly recommend for anybody who's in a place where you want to really focus on your just really overhauling your lifestyle, changing your habits, becoming more empowered and being more mindful when it comes to your relationship with food and your health, please hire Lucia right now. Like she's obviously such an expert at her craft. And there are so many client success stories that you can go to her website and read and hear on her podcast. So please follow her. She is just incredible at what she does. So thank you, my friend, for being on today. This was so much fun. Thank you. This was a blast. All right, my friends, we will be back tomorrow with our next experts to round out Coach Week. All right, thank you all for listening today, and we will see you tomorrow. Oh, hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If this helps you, I would love for you to share the gift of confidence with a friend because this is how we all grow. So share this with your girls, a coworker, a fellow mama, or your fam on social media because we all need support in our confidence journey. So sharing can help us heal, feel better, and take steps to grow now. Also, I'd love if you would drop your rating in. Ratings and reviews help me so much more than you realize. And if you found yourself listening today and thinking, I need professional support, 
I would love to invite you to join the CAN program where I will teach you how to take confident action now. If increased confidence is what you want, this is multiple months of dedicated you time where we will do the deep work on you to create your most confident self, both personally and professionally. Because once you know how to generate the feeling of confidence from the inside out, the possibilities become endless and your results become inevitable. This is the most valuable investment you will ever make in yourself. And I cannot wait to see who you become on the other side of doing this work on you. So visit me at soulmakeup.com to learn more or come be my bestie on Instagram. You can find me at your soul makeup. See you next time.